0: Here we go. Another episode with Adam Morrison and myself, Dan Dickow, for Gonzaga Nation SI and the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. The season rolls on. There's some bumps to the road so far, but Gonzaga had a heck of a challenge last night against a really good mid-major team in Kent State out of the MAC. Ended up finishing on, I think it was a 10-0 run. Um, Adam and I will chat about that, as well as who impressed us last night. So, Mo, first off, thanks for joining. Good to see you again. Yeah, appreciate it. You know, you, you look at last night's game and for the average fan that, you know, has gotten used to 25 30 40 point wins at home in the non-conference, you probably expected the same last night. Basketball guy like yourself, myself, you look at it, you know the name Kent State, you start doing some di- deep dive on on your prep for the broadcast, and you're like, "Hold on a second, this is going to be a good game."
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we knew. Last year, they, they should have been an NCAA tournament team. They had an issue with uh, social media posts the night before the, you know, the championship game, lost four starters. I think they won 23 games last year, picked to finish first in the MAC. Um, and then if you go in their net rankings, they were 25th, we're 29th. Um, so it's kind of interesting that they're ranked ahead of us in the Ken Palm and all the stuff that kind of matters when you start doing tournament seating. I know it's still December. Um, so yeah, this was a good basketball team, well coached with a culture with experienced guys, good players. That sincere carry guy was a good player, even though he didn't have a great night, averages 19, you know, uh, player of the year in the MAC last year. So we knew on the broadcast, and I knew, and it wasn't just, you know, Monday morning quarterback making us sound good, but we knew that it was a good basketball (laughs) team, and we knew it was kind of like I described it as like Gonzaga 12 years ago, where. All the coaches around the country knew you're good. And then, so nobody will play you. And we were talking to their radio guy. and um, how do you actually mentioned this? They said they called 65 power five schools to play them and us. And I think uh, Houston was the only other ones that answered the call, which is hilarious, but it just tells you like nobody wants to play a team like that because in everybody's mind, especially around the program, Oh, it's Kent state. You're supposed to win. It's like, well, actually, Those are the teams that get a 12 seed or a 13 seed and you're in a dogfight and they can, you know, win multiple games in the tournament. So I was impressed with, you know, just their tenacity defense. And I was impressed with our guys, um, you know, making that 11-0 run late in the game uh, to take over. But uh, it was a fun game to call.
0: Yeah, I I talked to Coach Senderoff uh, the day before the game, and and I kind of asked how the game came about. Very similar to what you described. You know, they want to play anybody, uh, especially with the group that they have this year because they're so experienced. Um, I remember a couple years back, I called a game on the Pac-12 networks where Kent State beat Oregon State on the road. Now I know Oregon State's not, you know, top of the Pac-12, but it shows you they're willing to go anywhere. Uh, and they gave Houston a heck of a game. They were up one on Houston, I think, with about 50 seconds left. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they make some noise in, in March. And if if you're a high seed, you know, a three, four, five, or six, I would hate seeing Kent State as your opponent in that first round. No, absolutely. They,
1: like I said, they they have the feeling of you know older guns and teams with. You know, a diamond in the rough players, players that are, uh, you know, four year guys experience that are going to play professionally uh, at the next level, but not as highly touted as we have now. But, uh, you know, they have that built in core chemistry and they play well together. So I was just impressed with overall Kent State, but then obviously our guys finding a way to win that game. Because if you're looking at the schedule, guarantee nobody X that one as an important one, but it's going to be a quad one win. Yeah. Um, so it's like we don't even get quad one wins hardly besides St. Mary's in the last few years, and that's not a knock on BYU, but they weren't even quad one wins in the last two years, so this is going to be a good win for us on our tournament resume.
0: Well, I think the biggest thing that was impressive last night down the stretch was defensively. The, early in the game, there were a lot of blow-bys, from all perimeter players, uh, I think the closeouts were were not good angles uh, or they were flybys and they gave, you know, direct line drive opportunities for, for Kent State's guards, you know, but the one guy who figured it out and I think he figured it out in other games as well, but he figured it out last night and that was through sheer effort and, and want to and that was Hunter Salas took three charges last night, two of them were uh, in the last four minutes of the game. The one with about a minute, minute and a half or so left that might have been the most impressive charge I've seen in a while. He literally had about four defensive rotations in a single possession before he took one on in help side. What did you see defensively from from maybe Gonzaga's perimeter players or if Hunter stood out to you as well? What what, what, were your thoughts?
1: Well, I, I think you're exactly right. Early in the game. Um, they were just doing space-to-floor dribble drive, and that's kind of what they do. You know, even if you stop their initial thrust, they back up, and then they go back again and try to space you out. And we left our feet, I think it was about four or five uh, closeouts, which is, you know, obviously a Cardinals sit in basketball, especially in a team that doesn't shoot it great. I mean, 33, the Thomas kid shot it decently last night and percentage-wise, but it was kind of perplexing to see our guys just leave their feet. Um, but then they figured it out in the second half after some, you know, adjustments by the coaching staff. And you can hear a few you, know, see our broadcasts were right next to him. I he was really getting on guys for leaving their feet. Um, but Hunter did an excellent job of taking those three charges. And I think two were on sincere carry their best player. I mentioned earlier, averaging 19. Um, yeah. It was just a heck of a defensive play. Malachi Smith had a great, you know, I consider it like a, not a, a pure defensive play, but that rebound and one, you know what I'm saying? So like, my point is, against Baylor, we didn't play great, but we we made winning plays to stay in the game, and we're seeing that from this team now, which is awesome. Texas, we didn't do that. we didn't do that. We get blown out of the gym. Now we're starting to see guys. Hey, if we're not shooting good, and you know, obviously Drew had a big night last night, but other guys are not doing their normal contribution offensively. We're still in ball games. We're still trying to win or have chance to win. Um, so I was really impressed with you know, Hunter's ability to fly
0: around and make plays, that's going to give him more minutes on the floor. Yeah, I think that his offense is is slowly coming around. That jump shot's getting better, but defensively is where he earns his minutes now. And and the more trust you earn with Coach Few, the little bit longer leash you're going to have and more minutes, and I think that offense will, will grow. But we talked about him being so good defensively. When you look back at whether it was your time playing at GU. We're now following it as a broadcaster. Be your best perimeter defender as a, as a Gonzaga Bulldog. I think on the interior, it's easy to say Chet Holmgren, maybe Zach Collins, Shema Karnowski, Brandon Clark. But on the perimeter, who, who do you remember really standing out? That's uh, I think
1: the best perimeter defender we've ever had, um, just as far as solid and mid-team, defensive rotation. It was Gary Bell. I mean, I was a GA when he played and I remember Tommy Lloyd making a really good comment. We were watching film and, you know, he choked down on a box out weak side and then he rotated the next play, you know, and he's just like, you win games with Gary Bell on the floor. And he was talking about his defensive uh, prowess. And I know that doesn't jump out because he's not six nine and wingspan and rim protector, but he just made winning plays. He could get through ball screens. He can get through wide pin downs. Uh, And he was tough. So for me, you know, calling games and watching and coaching at that time
0: was Gary Bell. Yeah, there's uh, there's two that come to mind for me. Actually, three Winston Brooks, who I was teammates with Mike Nelson, who was on that initial Elite Eight team uh, that he gets forgotten about a little bit because it's been 20 plus years now. Uh, and then Mike Hart, those three guys, and I would absolutely include Gary Bell in, in my list uh, as well. I mean, they didn't give you anything. They were physical. They were good positional defenders. If you made a mistake, they would take it. Um, but then they understood the team concepts of defense that you talked about: choking down on blockouts, being in the gaps, uh, things that are they're are undervalued by most people when they watch the game. So that leads me to the next question: Who is the best defender? that you had to go against at the college level and then at the professional level? Uh,
1: college level, uh, it's hard to remember even. I uh, probably Corey Belzer at, at San Diego was a good defender, long athletic. Um, you know, then the NBA, the best defender I saw, like individual defender just every day was Ron Artest or Meta World Peace. He just was so solid. He was so quick and you know, big, like a big trunk, so you couldn't move him off his line. And obviously he was tough and he had an edge to him that everybody's fully aware of. So um, just um, watching him guard guys and going against him a lot in practice, obviously was, was pretty impressive because he he rarely got, you know, like cooked, um, which is hard to say in the NBA, you know, for anybody, because there's just nights that you can play good defense and guys go
0: off. Run our test. yeah. <laughs> I had many matchups against him, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was a smaller guard he would climb right into you, and there was no way you were getting the line. I mean, a lot of it for, for me was like, okay, I just got to get the ball to the entry area and get it out of my hands as quickly as possible. That's what they would do with a guy like Artest, have him guard a point guard just to get you out of your off or get the ball into someone else's hands to try to initiate. I think at the pro level, You know, the one guy in this, you probably will shake your head at this, Rafer Alston. I had more problems with him probably than anybody because I've never gone against a guy who gets over pick and rolls as well as he did. Like, you know how coaches teach skinny up, get over the top, open your shoulders up and run directly into the screen. I don't know how he did it, but I don't think he ever went chest to chest into a pick and roll. He was always up over the top. He had long arms, great instincts. So he would have been a, a guy, you know, unsung, but great defensively. And then the other one for me at the college level, it was one of our losses uh, my junior year. We played in the Great Alaska Shootout when it was a big-time tournament, and it was against Marquette in the championship game. Dwayne Wade had a near quadruple-double. But their little point guard, about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, Cordell Henry, I swear when a shorter guy who's quick gets under you, yeah. you can't find angles. You can't find space. They take away, you know, a lot of your footwork type of maneuvers with jab steps or, or creating space. Uh, he was a difficult one for me. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh,
1: it's but the Spurs, used to put Tony Parker on Dirk Nowitzki was the perfect example of, getting it up underneath you guys, it makes you feel uncomfortable just naturally, you know, and they're not trying to do anything to keep, but you just feel like you can't jump, you're going to land on them. And like you said, it takes away all your jab stuff. So, yeah, sometimes when you get a smaller defender, it kind of goes against the conventional wisdom of, yeah, you need length. It's like sometimes it's more bothersome getting a guy underneath you and then they can take charges, they can flop, you know what I'm saying, and and really make your feet messed up and uh, just make it really uncomfortable.
0: Last point about last night's game, it was uh, it was a fun environment because the crowd was into it. But also uh, somebody joined your name, Frank Burgess name and John Stockton's name in the rafters. And that was Kelly Olenek. Um, You know, I think there's been a lot of kind of important players over the course of the program. uh, And Kelly's one of them because he was the first guy that, uh, you know, or he is a guy that was on that first number one ranked team from Gonzaga where they kind of broke through, and then they were a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think he's put together a tremendous pro career, second longest NBA career behind Stockton now for former Zags. Um, you know, what What are your thoughts on Kelly, and, and what are any big memories of, of him and his time at Gonzaga?
1: Well, it's a, obviously a, a well-deserved, huge honor. Obviously, you're doing that in, what, January. So congrats to you for that. Thanks. Um You know, and we'll talk about that later on in another episode. But I think it's just, um, you know, a testament to him looking himself in the mirror as a basketball player, which is hard to do, especially even at that time or usually when you get to college, everybody tells you you're the best and or if if it's not working out, it's the coach's fault, the program's fault. He looked at himself in the mirror and said, I need to get better, took that redshirt year, and then made it a a huge leap, um, you know, skill wise and then he's paying dividends in the NBA now. So it's it's really good. It was nice to see him. I haven't seen him in a while. We had a summer going into that dead I think it was his junior year summer. We played up in the day court almost every day one on one. We just talked about that on our broadcast last night. Just kind of laughed because like you understood this all the old guys that came back and played with you. And then she you also know, I was yep. that older guy with that crew and it was just fun because they were hungry and he was hungry. And we, I mean, we just played one-on-one with stocks and uh, uh, Kata who used to be, you know what I mean? Then, then mm-hmm. uh, David's brother, you know, we just played threes or one-on-one or two-on-two every single day in the day court. And I remember telling people like, dude, Kelly's made a jump. Really? You know, cause he was kind of just a bumbling, slow,
0: big guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm like,
1: dude, he turned into an athlete. Like, just trust me. Like he turned into an athlete and shoot. And then I told him on air, like he's going to play the longest behind John. John's a different animal, but he's going to play another five, six, seven more years. Right. He can pick and pop. His body's good. He doesn't take a lot of miles. I told him this and he started laughing, but I'm like, he's the type of guy where a team could go to him and be like, Hey, you're not going to play for five games and he won't say a word, but then you know, they'll put him in for 10 more. You know how they do that in the league. Yeah. Sometimes give a guy a run and then he'll be super productive. So like, Kelly is going to do fine as far as stretching this thing out because he's playing well already this season for Utah and happy for him, man. It's a great honor for him.
0: Yeah, it is. And I love hearing those uh, you know, stories of, of when you worked with guys or I, you know, Brooks brings back memories with me, you know, my redshirt year of John Stockton and I working out every single day. Uh, my senior year and and learning from him you know obviously you had a a lot of words of wisdom I'm sure for Kelly as as you've had with other guys that's one of the things that makes this program so special and uh, it makes it fun to be a part of so Mo great episode look forward to uh, catching up on another one later this week where we preview don't know if you want to call them a rival or not but they are in regards to regional uh, powers uh, the University of Washington Huskies so Join us again when we talk later this week about the UW-Gonzaga game.